case is submitted. We'll hear argument next in number 89-1598, Eastern Airlines versus Rosemary Floyd. Mr. Murray, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case arises from an accident, as defined by the Warsaw Convention, that occurred aboard Eastern Airlines Flight Number 855 while en route from Miami to Nassau in the Bahamas. As Flight 855 approached Nassau, the flight crew noticed a low oil pressure indication on one of the Lockheed 1011's three engines. They shut down that engine and began a return to Miami. En route, the other two engines of the aircraft quit because of oil starvation. After a period of unpowered flight, the crew restarted the engine originally shut down and was able to effect a safe landing at the Miami International Airport. None of the passengers in these cases suffered any physical injury. Because the crew issued uh, appropriate warnings to the passengers, including uh, ditching instructions, safety instructions, and ultimately a notice that ditching is imminent. It's undisputed that some of these passengers suffered fright. Uh, Eastern received a judgment on the pleadings. Uh, not, not, not all of them. <laughs> uh, I beg your pardon, Your Honor? Not all of the passengers? Well, there are 162 people on board, and there are 25 plaintiffs in this case. So I guess uh, you can draw your own conclusions from, uh, from that. Uh, Eastern, after having received judgment on the pleadings, was uh, uh, the 11th Circuit reversed that and held that emotional injury was, in fact, compensable under Warsaw, and that's the primary issue about which we're here today. Uh, because of the tenor of the respondent's brief, I think it's important that I note uh, one thing specifically here, and that is that it, the fault or culpability of Eastern Airlines in this matter is not at issue in this case. And the reason it's not is because Eastern's liability is governed by the, the provisions of the Warsaw Convention. Uh, specifically, Article 17 of the uh, Convention provides that the carrier shall be liable. It's an absolute liability provision when merged with the Montreal Agreement. The carrier shall be liable for damage sustained in the event of death, wounding, or bodily injury. Mr. Murray, if, um, if a passenger in an accident covered by the Warsaw Convention did suffer some uh, physical injury, such as a cut on the leg in the course of whatever happened in the air, but also uh, says that there were emotional injuries suffered as well, can the damages cover uh, both the um, injury to the leg and the emotional trauma? Our, our, our position is, uh, Justice O'Connor, that they can. We think that there is a, a requirement that there be a manifest, palpable physical injury and the damages um, 
suffered in any form after that are recovered. Well, is that because those emotional injuries are incorporated under the term lésion corporelle as a matter of law in France? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, we feel that uh, the term lésion corporelle, uh, I, I hesitate to use it as a term of law in France, but it is a, a French term that is uniquely uh, indicative of trauma or a lesion to or infringement of the, the, the body or an organ. Why do you say that the emotional injury in the case I posed is recoverable? Under what language of the Warsaw Convention well, is it covered? Your Honor, the, the Convention provides, uh, the original French version of the Convention, provides that a pass, that, that the carrier is responsible for damage or dommage in the original French. It's given very broad connotations. Uh, the briefs discuss uh, at length the, the, the definition of dommage, dommage matériel, dommage moral, dommage corporal. But the fact is that in the French version of Article 17, the unqualified word damage, dommage, is used. And that would include the emotional injury. We believe it includes the emotional injury. But you take the position that the term lésion corporelle uh, requires as a condition precedent some physical injury to the body. Exactly, Your Honor. And we believe that that, that lésion corporelle, the occurrence of a physical injury, is a condition precedent to recovering whatever damages the passenger suffers. And the emotional injury can be compensable even though it results from causes unrelated to the cut. I, I believe that is a, uh, uh, a fair result, Your Honor. I think the, the, reason that, uh, the reason that we feel it's important to have the, uh, the physical manifestation of some sort is, as the briefs have pointed out, is to sort the meritorious from the unmeritorious claims. I think that was an intent of the Convention. You, you rely on the language, I presume, which does, does not say damages caused by death, wounding, or other bodily injury, but damage sustained in the event of. There is no causal connection required in that text, nor in the French, which, which, uh, which says en cas de mort, in, in the event of death, not... not as we, I'm helping. I'm trying to help you here. Yes, I, I, I understand, Your Honor. I, I think that that is a, a, a literal, a correct interpretation of the uh, the French uh, and the English translation of Article 17, and I think that that is the, uh, frankly, was the intent of the framers of the Convention to to do exactly what they did there. Um, as, as you pointed out, Justice Scalia, it uh, the, the damage which is unqualified, the word damage, damage is unqualified, and it arises only in the event of the occurrence of death, mort, wounding, blessure, or bodily injury, lesion corporal. I cannot imagine a, a bodily injury that is not a wounding. Or, I mean, wounding is very bad. I'm not sure that's a good... Or a, a, a lesion corporel that is not a blessure. Can you tell me uh, an example of... Uh, Yes, Your Honor, the, uh, uh, the, the research we've done into the, the, the French meaning of these terms indicates that a blessure indicates a, uh, uh, a trauma of such force that it, it is, in fact, a wounding. And the example that the, the, the text used is if there's a simple compound fracture of a bone and there is no breaking of the skin, then that is not a blessure. 
On the other hand, it would be deemed a lesion corporelle, an infringement of the body or its organs. So there, there are differences in, uh, uh, in the French meaning between the two terms, and that's the reason that they were, I believe, used uh, uh, the three in the alternative. Very, very elegant, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's right. Uh, uh, did, uh, neither brief, uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, makes any uh, point out of the phrase de tout autre of any other or does that just not help either party uh, just because, because it, it, it seems to me that any other might uh, relate lesion corporelle to uh, wounding or death Justice Kennedy it, it, uh, it appears that uh, in our analysis is that mort and blessure are not totally inclusive uh, as I just explained, of any bodily injury, any trauma, any impact, any infringement on the body, and the terms uh, de tout uh, autre, uh, lesion corporelle, were included to expand. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just referring to the words uh, de tout autre. Would your case be just as strong or just as weak without those words? I, I believe that... Uh, uh, that, that other words could be used to include... Uh, well, could, it, it, include could, it could have eliminated those. It just could have said, oh, lesion corporelle. Yes, I, I think that could have. So that has no effect on, on your case? Uh, no, not, not uh, to my understanding. Well, it may harm your case a little bit because, if, if you, as you've just described, uh, the difference between blessure and lesion corporelle, lesion corporelle is not another. I, I mean... <laughs> A blessure is one kind of lesion corporelle, I assume. Right. Right. But you've, so, told, so you've the, told me that they're two different things. I'm not saying that they're two different things. I'm saying that a blessure would be included within the broad term of lesion corporelle, but uh, uh, not necessarily vice versa. You can have a, uh, a bodily injury that is not necessarily a wounding. I see. So the addition of tout autre lesion corporelle broadens the liability of the carrier over what it would be with, with just uh, cadamore de blessure. Yes, yes, Mr. Chief Justice. That's, uh, that's the way we read and understand the, the, the phrase. The, uh, the French uh, and the uh, English uh, translation of Article 17, we believe, as uh, we have just now discussed, are quite clear and that the damage recoverable uh, is recoverable in the event of the death, wounding, or bodily injury. And we feel that the wording of Article 17 is quite clear, that it's not necessary to go any further than that. But uh, looking at the drafter's intent uh, in the 1929 convention, uh, it is clear that there was vast silence on the issue of what uh, Article 17 was meant to include. The subsequent drafting history, uh, as reviewed by the 11th Circuit, is somewhat more helpful in determining what the drafters of the original convention meant. In 1951, <coughs> in Madrid, the, uh, at a subsequent drafting convention, the French delegate, uh, as a matter of fact, introduced uh, an amendment which would have uh, changed and uh, uh, broadened the term lesion corporelle to have included mental injury. That was rejected in the 1951 Madrid uh, uh, convention. Uh, similarly, in 1955 at the Hague, the uh, 
the Greek delegate asked for a change to broaden the terms of Article 17, and that was soundly defeated. Now, at the so-called Guatemala Accords, which have not yet been approved, I gather, in this country, would the meaning change under the Convention? Uh, Justice O'Connor, we don't feel that the, number one, the original French translation of Article 17, Mm -hmm. uh, the original French version, rather, of Article 17, remains unchanged from the 1929 convention to the present time. There have been changes uh, that uh, that deal with notification uh, that incorporate the term personal injury. We don't feel that they have any significance at all with respect to... uh, 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 the Guatemala City Protocol, and was, as was pointed out in Sachs, the Guatemala City Protocol, not having been ratified by the Senate, does not, does not thereby govern this case. The, the line uh, of demarcation uh, that we're asking to uh, the, the court to impose in, in the uh, interpretation of the convention is, we believe, one that is extremely fair. Uh, The respondents have raised in their brief the uh, concern that people would, in fact, be injured, be frightened, be entitled to recover damages in these cases and not be able to to affect that recovery. Uh, But the use of the bodily injury requirement, we feel, is consistent with uh, policies that are in place in this country today. Uh, These type, uh, uh, this line of demarcation would allow uh, Claims that are real, that are significant, uh, to be uh, uh, to have a recovery affected, and yet be able to sort out the unreal, the more trivial claims. The but more you, you certainly would get some, presumably legitimate claims of emotional distress, not feigned, that, that would be thrown out under this line of reasoning. Unquestionably, <clears throat> Mr. Chief Justice, there will be. But I think that there needs to be a, determin- a determination made as to where a fair. Uh, an equitable demarcation line is, and I believe that the, the physical, palpable, uh, objective type uh, manifestation of any injury uh, meets that. Uh, Mr. That Murray, they, they argue in response that the requirement of an accident imposes some kind of a limit on, on the danger that every time you get in a rainstorm, you have a lot of claims. Would you comment on the force of that argument? Uh, Justice Stevens, I... I I think that that is a concern that Eastern has and that other carriers have in this, this considera- in, in, uh, in this issue. It's very clear that, number one, under the Warsaw Scheme, if there is an accident, uh, the carrier is absolutely liable because the Montreal Agreement has waived any uh, ability of the carrier to raise the due care defense. Uh, number two, if a passenger, uh, having experienced an accident during uh, travel on the aircraft, uh, or during any of the processes of embarkation or disembarkation, presents a compensable injury, he's automatically entitled to recover. Accident has been held to be uh, a, a very broad, uh, broadly defined term. It's, it, it's very inclusive. It includes anything that is uninspected or unintended from the standpoint of the carrier. A turbulence encounter that is unexpected, for example, is an accident. I thought so, and and although the respondent's brief in this case suggests that a turbulence encounter is not an accident, as I recall it. Uh, Justice Scalia, there are a number of cases that uh, that we have dealt with that uh, have uh, we've treated as uh, accidents, and, and there certainly are cases that hold that a turbulence encounter, an, an unexpected turbulence encounter, is an accident. 
as would be, for example, uh, a four-engine aircraft that has a problem with one engine and a precautionary shutdown is made. And if that is announced to the passengers, uh, that is unexpected from the standpoint of the carrier. That is an accident under Warsaw, and it would be compensable. And under that scenario, any passenger uh, could then present an absolute liability claim to the carrier saying, by the way, uh, when you shut the engine down and you told us about it, it sure scared me. Uh, of course, like the, the absolute liability uh, came into effect with the Montreal Treaty. That's and and it, it seems to me that that's, that that's irrelevant. We're interpreting uh, the Warsaw Convention uh, as it was intended and drafted when there was, I take it, some showing of fault. That's, well, that's, that's correct, Your Honor. The, the Montreal Agreement is, uh, uh, is in fact, uh, the, the, the agreement that is in place now. But the strict liability provisions uh, were intended under the original 29 Convention. And what was added, uh, in addition to the strict liability provisions, was a provision where the carrier could show uh, that it should be exonerated of liability if it used all due care. And that simply has been weighed with respect to the Montreal uh, Agreement. And under the scenario that the carriers operate now, uh, any presentation of a claim uh, um, after a compensable accident gives rise to absolute liability. Well, but the there point still is, is that at the time of the Warsaw Convention, you were not subject to strict liability. That's correct. That's correct. I, I, let, me, let me retreat from that and say that the carrier was liable for, uh, strictly to a passenger, but it was able to avail itself of a due care defense. I think it was stronger. It was intended to be stronger by the drafters of the convention than uh, recourse to the national law at that time. Has this issue been litigated in the French courts? Uh, not to my knowledge, Your Honor. Uh, and when you say this issue, you mean whether mental anguish unaccompanied by physical manifestation yes. is compensable under the convention. Uh, we know of no cases that... that well, is there, is there some French view about uh, this issue? The, well, the, the French law, in our judgment, does contemplate recovery uh, in negligence cases for pure mental injury. And I think that that is well covered in the, uh, the French wording of Article 17 where it talks about dommage, because dommage... Uh, translated into damage is uh, is unmodified in Article 17, and they, we would we would feel that they would contemplate uh, recovery well, or French, whatever. Is there damage. a French view about the meaning of uh, of the Warsaw Convention? Uh, not in this context that I'm aware of, Your Honor. It's, it struck me, <coughs> Mr. Murray, that both the, your brief and the respondents' brief were quite lacking in uh, any. French interpretations of what this term would have meant at the time the Warsaw Convention was adopted. I assume maybe that that was because there just weren't any. Well, uh, and when you say that term, are you specifically... Lesion corporel. Lesion corporel. Your Honor, I think the reason that uh, we recognized in our brief that the Napoleonic Code at that time did in fact uh, provide that when one does wrong to another, uh, he must compensate that other for the wrong done. It's extremely broad. And it's, it's not narrow at all. But the term lesion corporal, uh, in our judgment, in our research, is, is not specifically a legal term. There are terms that are utilized in the French law, but they modify the word damage, dommage. There is dommage corporal, for example. There is dommage material. There is dommage You, you could read through cases construing the Code Napoleon, then, 
and find no, no, no use of the term lesion corporel? I'm not saying we didn't find any use of the term lesion corporel, but I think that uh, the, uh, the readings that we did and the things that we cited in our brief and with which there is very or generally no disagreement is the, the fact that the term lesion corporel is translated appropriately to be bodily injury. Lesion does not mean lesion. It, 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 means, it means harm. It, it, it means prejudice. It means a lot of things like that in French, doesn't it? Yes, Your Honor. We shouldn't be misled to think it, it means lesion. It, there's no Your position is that when it's combined with corporel, it means what you say. Exactly. Lesion, for example, can be the infringement of a right. It, 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 not, it need not be, uh, as you indicated, a lesion or associated with a bodily function. But used together with the term corporel, uh, that, that's the clear meaning of the term. And uh, the uh, issue that we've also asked the court to look at, uh, the second issue, is the one dealing with exclusivity. Uh, we've taken the position uh, throughout the pendency of this litigation that uh, the Warsaw Convention was intended to be the exclusive vehicle for recovery. You think that question is fairly presented by your question presented for certiorari, Mr. Murray? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, we feel that even though it wasn't in uh, uh, the first page of the brief as a question presented, it was certainly raised. It was raised in the trial court. It was raised in the Eleventh Circuit. And it was raised in the petition for certiorari and fully briefed therein. Well, l let me read you your, your question presented, which, of course, is at the first page of your brief. Whether in view of the presumed liability under Warsaw Convention for death, wounding, or any other bodily injury, an air carrier is liable for fright, psychic injury, or emotional distress, absent objective bodily injury, or absent any physical manifestation of injury. That, as I understand it, is the question presented in your petition. And do you think that the question you're not talking about is fairly subsumed under that question? Under that question, uh, perhaps not, Your Honor, but under Rule 14 of the Rules of the Court, we feel that the question, as is discussed later in the brief and is, is argued and is fully presented, does adequately preserve the question of exclusivity before the court. But when we grant cert, I assume we grant cert on the question that's contained on the first page. I, you know, I don't know what to look to as to, you know, anything. I'm not going to read every part of every brief to find out what we granted cert on. I want to be able to turn to the first page and say this is the issue they want us to address. And that wasn't there at all. It, it was not, Your Honor. I, I, I must candidly admit that it was not there, but I must point to the, uh, to the last section of the brief. separate section addressing it, but, but it was sort of, by the way, while, you know, while you're about it, you might want to address this other question. Uh, that's, this is how you sort of put it. That's, that's correct, Your Honor. Beyond that, hasn't the Florida court held there's no state law cause of action here anyway? They have held that there is no state law cause of action for the intentional infliction of emotional distress as pled in the pleadings of the case that it considered. That's the King versus Eagle. So what do you want us to preempt? Well, Your Honor, there, there are two, two cases um, under the Floyd 11th Circuit decision uh, wherein the court allows uh, an amendment to the complaint. Uh, that is the Corey case and the Dix case. And we feel that the, the controversy is, is in fact alive, that these two plaintiffs, Corey and Dix, now have an opportunity to go back to the trial court to amend their pleadings, and they can fairly amend a state, to add a state cause of action. So we think that within the ambit of this case, the issue is alive. And uh, they, we think that Article 24 fairly speaks for itself, that it is intended to be the, uh, the, the convention is intended to be the sole vehicle for recovery. 
the minutes absolutely support that contention. Uh, I would point to uh, the comments of three delegates at the 1929 convention, specifically Mr. Ambrosini from Italy, who said, we wish that the convention be applied in all cases. In any case, recourse to national law must be ruled out. Mr. Repair from France said, we are absolutely opposed to a formula that would lead to the application of national law. And Sir Alfred Dennis of Great Britain said, in discussing Article 24, it is a very important stipulation which touches the very substance of the convention because this excludes recourse to common law. We feel that the drafters of the convention were uniform in their intent that any recovery by uh, an injured passenger in international air transportation be governed exclusively by the Warsaw Convention. So in sum, we ask the court to find, number one, that a mental injury unaccompanied by any physical manifestation of physical um, uh, injury should be uncompensable. And number two, that the Warsaw Convention should be the exclusive vehicle for recovery in any uh, claims in air, international air transportation. Thank you, Mr. Murray. Mr. Eaton, we'll hear now from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The Chief Justice observed that the briefs were lacking in a discussion of the French civil law background, and I thought I was doing the Court a favor. Uh, what I did was adopt Section 3 of the Court of Appeals' opinion as my primary argument I on felt that, that was, I felt that was lacking, too, okay. in any discussion of contemporary French law at the time the Warsaw Convention was adopted. The Eleventh Circuit's analysis is drawn almost uh, entirely, maybe 75 percent, from a book written by Professor or Dr. Rene Mankiewicz of McGill University, who, from my reading on this subject, uh, is considered the single leading expert on the question of the meaning of the language in the Warsaw Convention. His conclusion, and the Eleventh Circuit's conclusion, uh, was that the phrase lesion corporelle is not appropriately translated into the terms, the English phrase, bodily injury. And the bottom line that both Dr. Mankiewicz proposed and the Court of Appeals held was that the phrase should more appropriately have been translated into the phrase personal injury did, in did the English doc, language. Did Dr. Mankiewicz and his treatise discuss French yes, personal injury law as of the vintage of the Warsaw Convention? Yes, he did, Your Honor. Dr. Mank Many of Dr. Mankiewicz's reasons for reaching this conclusion are incorporated into Section 3 of the Court of Appeals' opinion. Basically, he says there is no concept in French civil law which relates to the words lesion corporelle. Um, that to a French civil lawyer in 1929 saying lesion corporelle uh, to him didn't mean a whole lot because the French categories, according to Dr. Mankiewicz, were dommage personnel, Dommage patrimonial, non-economic damages, economic damages. Well, then why would the drafters use a phrase like that if it didn't mean anything in the French legal world? Dr. Mankiewicz's opinion was that the phrase meant something broader than either dommage personnel or dommage patrimonial. It meant the concept that the uh, English law has, which is personal injury, a broad... Uh, a broad any type of injury suffered by a passenger in, international, in an international air carrier well, accident. Was, was, did he deduce that? I take it not from French legal authorities, which you say didn't even use the term, but simply from a translation from the French? No, he deduced it from a number of facts, Your Honor. 
one of which was that the French civil law simply did not recognize the distinction that Mr. Murray has asked the court to read into or impose upon Article 17. There is no concept, either in 1929 or today, in the French civil law. Dr. Mankiewicz cites five or six uh, French court decisions in his 1981 treatise. There is no concept in the French civil law that you have to have a physical injury or a physical impact before you're entitled to recover damages for your mental distress. That, Dr. And Mankiewicz, there are cases that say you may recover for, for uh, mental uh, or some kind of a mental upset. There are cases in the French civil law and in the Napoleonic Code, as Mr. Murray has conceded. But there were not in it. I mean, this is a treaty we're talking about. Maybe that's why they had to invent a new term like lésion corporelle, which does not exist. Uh, although there, there, there were such causes of action in French law, there were none in English law, as I understand it. And I doubt whether there were any in the United States. I remember when I was in law school, it, it, it was considered avant-garde uh, in, in, in those states that allowed... Uh, a recovery for mental distress when there had been no uh, no physical harm. So you're asking us to believe that uh, the English, who, had, who not only had never heard of it then, don't even know of it now, and uh, the United States representatives, who also didn't know of it at the time, signed on to a treaty that, that provides, uh, with, with respect to a new technology, um, uh, this kind of extraordinary uh, relief that didn't even exist for, you know, hitting somebody with a hammer or scaring somebody with a hammer uh, domestically. It's most, not plausible, is it? Most respectfully, Justice Scalia, the English common law recognized and has recognized for centuries various tortious causes of action for the recovery solely of mental injuries. The law of defamation, for one. There are no physical Un injuries involved in a libel or a slander. Unintentional? A negligent assault, negligent defamation. Ne you negligent have negligent assault? Negligent assault? I... You have... It's an intentional tort. The, the only torts I'm aware of where you could recover for emotional injury alone <clears throat> were intentional. We're talking here of, of, of negligence or indeed even absolute liability, not even negligence, less than negligence. The impact rule is, in my reading of it, designed for a very narrow purpose. That is where the interest is in the protection of physical security alone. Physical security is threatened, but there has been no injury. Then typically, solely as a matter of judicial philosophy and to draw an arbitrary line between the probably significant and the probably trivial, the impact rule is imposed to pre prevent claims for negligent infliction of mental distress. been relaxed all over this country in numerous contexts in cases of aggravated conduct where common carriers are involved, in cases where the most likely injury, the most probable injury of the conduct which is recognized as tortious is mental distress, uh, where there's no physical injury threatened by the tort. For example, the negligent mishandling of a dead body has long been actionable in English common law. The relatives are allowed to recover their mental distress. Was no the mental injury. injury the fact that they were about to crash? What was the mental injury? Mental injury, Your Honor, is the terror. You won't talk about it. The terror at the thought that they were all going to die, which lasted for several minutes during the descent. Now, a plane is going from one coast to the other coast, and it falls down 10,000 feet. Would those people have injury? No, Your Honor. There would be no accident in that case. Mm -hmm. and, and airplanes don't do that. They don't well, fall 10,000 no feet. But it fell 10 feet. It felt like it was going to be an accident. 
No, Your Honor, turbulence is an expected event in, in, in aviation. Turbulence is up there because the Gulf Stream, not the Gulf Stream, the jet stream causes turbulence, the buildup of cumulus clouds into alto and to Thunder and lightning, does that do it? Normal and expected happenings what in aviation. Is, what is peculiar about this one? What is peculiar about this case? This case did not involve a single engine failure of an air... Engines don't fail. That's, that, that's not to be expected either. Like, like, of like, course it is. That's why you put three or four engines on the airplane. In this case, all the engines on the airplane, well, they're not expected to fail, no. They're supposed to run to their uh, overhaul time and then be overhauled, put back on. And no, they're not expected to fail from sloppy maintenance. But the difference between this case and the single engine failure that Mr. Murray talked about is that all of the engines quit. I've been on at least a half a dozen planes where the engine fell out. Where the engine you failed? You lost some money? I don't believe so, Your Honor. <laughs> I don't believe, no. I don't believe a jury would compensate you in that case because only one of the engines failed, which is the reason why there are lots of engines on an airplane. Well, all the engines failed. Every engine on this airplane oh, failed. Yeah. Oh, that's what kept me from getting any money, huh? Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> I'm just worried about the money I've lost. It's not just the terror suffered by the passengers during this seven or eight minute period when they all thought they were going to die. Suppose there's heavy turbulence and a passenger falls and uh, has a fracture. Recoverable? According to Mr. Murray, it is. What is your position? I don't believe it makes any sense to read that complex distinction into these two words, lazy and corporeal, and that's basically what I've argued. Well, I, I'm still not sure what your answer is. Um, Mr. Murray says the phrase lazy on corporeal, or he, he's now backed it up several. I, I want to know your position. Okay. My position is There's that... turbulence and it causes a fracture. Recoverable under the Warsaw Convention? I'm sorry, I misheard the question. No, the answer is no. It may very well be recoverable under some other local law that's not inconsistent with the Warsaw Convention if you can prove fault in that the pilot flew into an area of known turbulence, for example, against the advice of the FAA. Um, Simple turbulence causing, an uh, causing injury is not recoverable because it's not an accident? I don't believe it's an accident, Your Honor. It's a, not a, it's a normal expected event in flight. You cannot avoid turbulence in flight. You can't see it. Well, you, gee, you, 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 don't, you, you don't ordinarily encounter the kind of turbulence that causes somebody to get hurt. That's very rare, just as, just as all, all of the engines on a plane going out is very rare, but it happens. It's very rare because the commercial airlines are, are very careful about skirting those areas in which they can project and predict turbulence. I think one's an accident just as the other one is. I mean, turbulence is not rare. Turbulence is up there right now. I'm every talking day, about bone-breaking turbulence, not, <clears throat> not just, uh, you know, a few... A little bump. Well, it, you know, that's not something It's that, like an accident to me. It may be an accident. It may be an accident. I took the position that minor incidents of encounters with turbulence were not because you needed something that was serious, sudden, unexpected, that yeah, what, caused an unexpected injury. Unexpected turbulence. Unexpected. That's an accident, isn't it? Unexpected turbulence. Unexpected turbulence. don't have your seatbelt on, yeah. you're thrown against the ceiling, you're killed. You have no cause of action? I believe you would because of the serious nature of the injury. But it has to be an accident for you to have a recovery, doesn't it? I thought it was everybody agreed there was unexpected tur turbulence that caused physical harm. 
that that was A, an action, and B, it was covered by the treaty. I suppose my aviation background has caused me to take a position that probably I shouldn't have taken. I've been flying for 25 years. Every time I get in an airplane, I run into turbulence. It's not a serious thing to me. You fly higher than I do. Commercial commercial airlines spend a lot of time avoiding areas in which they can predict turbulence. And generally, when a commercial airline gets in a situation where the turbulence is so severe and it hasn't alerted people uh, to the uh, need to wear the seatbelt and somebody gets physically hurt, that's probably an accident within the lay or even jurisprudential construction of the statute. But there's no harm done here because what we've got is essentially like a workers' compensation system. There is a cap on damages here at $75,000, and there's a trade-off. Hey, we'll give you strict liability for any time you get hurt in an accident in an airplane. You give us a cap on the damages. So I don't have any problem with suggesting that turbulence can be covered. We'll work with the courts and workmen's compensation cases, at least in the days when I practiced law, have been uh, very hard put to define an accident, which all most state statutes of affording workman's compensation use, injury arise, arising out of accident, very hard put to define the term accident as having any significant limitation. Well, the court took a stab at that in the Air France versus Sachs case and did define it to exclude things that happen internally to the passenger. But the definition of accident that the court came up with in Air France versus Sachs is very broad. Um, But let me get back to the French legal meaning, because that's the technical question uh, before the court. Um, The conclusion of Dr. Mankiewicz and a number of other scholars, which are not cited in my brief, but are collected in the Eleventh Circuit's opinion, and the Eleventh Circuit was that the phrase lazy on corporal simply didn't translate well into bodily injury. There are a number of reasons why Dr. Mankiewicz and the court reached that conclusion. One was that the French civil law did not recognize the distinction which the common law impact rule imposes on tort actions, and therefore, um, who would have expected in 1929 uh, that the drafters of the treaty could have come up with something like that? The German delegate... The the theory of Dr. Mankiewicz being that the drafters had intended to come up with something that was recognized in French law? No. His conclusion was that by using the phrase lazy on corporel, they meant something broader uh, than than the narrower concepts recognized, dommage personnel, dommage patrimonial, material, or morale, that they wanted something broader, and what they were after... Broader than any of those? No. Broad as the English concept of personal injury, which incidentally is the word that all the subsequent uh, revisions of the Warsaw Convention have used, uh, which is down here at the bottom of my list of reasons Uh, for the Eleventh Circuit's construction. Dr. Mankiewicz was also impressed by the fact that the German delegate to the convention went back and translated the official German translation of the Warsaw Convention, uh, rendered the phrase lazy on corporel as any infringement on the health of a passenger, and the German translation is now used in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, much broader than the English bodily injury. Uh, He also looked to a thesis written by a student of Georges Ripert who was the French uh, leading French delegate and the drafter of this convention, and the blank Dannery thesis written under the supervision of Dean Repair states that Article 17 is broad enough to cover nervous troubles arising out of an accident. Let me pause there, if I may. Say any in, the German translates any infringement on the health of the person. Would just a period of intense fright for five minutes with no subsequent uh, consequences qualify under that? 
Yes, Your Honor. The damages may not be great, and, and we're not here saying each of these passengers is entitled to a you million dollars. Being frightened for a minute with no after effects would be an infringement on your health within the me. Yes, but the more important damages, and I didn't get to answer the, the question about what the damages the passengers have sustained in this case. There are two passengers who suffered physical sequelae, which give you a recovery even under Mr. Murray's theory. There are several of these passengers who have testified that this event was so terif terrifying to them that they have never been able to fly on an airplane again. That's an ongoing, permanent, perhaps, um, uh, mental injury. Uh, there are people that have nightmares, fear of flying, uh, the whole panoply of damage that you might expect in a case may I, like may this. May I ask this? I don't, maybe I should ask your opponent this. Supposing a, person, a passenger is so frightened that he or she had a heart attack, no physical, would, would, that be, would they agree that would be coverable? Yes, Your Honor. That is a physical sequelae of a mental distress, okay. which they say the common law impact rule does not exclude. Uh, in, in this case, my understanding is um, that there was a pregnant woman who gave birth prematurely as a result of the mental stress. Uh, the baby was, was blind and retarded as a result of the premature delivery. Easton did not contest that claim. That claim was litigated, uh, and my understanding is that, um, that they have collected their $75,000 in that case. So the, the, there is a panoply of damages which can occur to people put in this situation. Uh, it may be that some of these claims will be awarded zero damages, a single engine failure, minor turbulence, whatever. A jury's not going to compensate you for it. But that's not a reason to exclude legitimate cases of people who flew for a living and can no longer fly as a result of the terror that they have suffered uh, as a result of this uh, inexcusable uh, incident. It was just pure sloppy maintenance, which the... Uh, Eleventh Circuit has held the allegations our complaint are sufficient to support a finding of willful and wanton misconduct. Now let me turn to the subsequent conduct of the contracting parties because this is a very important aspect. Before you leave the, the word, the, you know, this textual stuff uh, uh, to an extent, uh, this Dr. Mankiewicz, uh, did, did he say anything more categorical? Because I didn't go back and consult his treatise. What is quoted in the opinion below is his statement that while bodily injury is undoubtedly a grammatically correct translation of lesion corporelle, it may rightly be argued that it may it may rightly be argued that the meaning of that expression in French law and its equivalents in other civil laws are more correctly rendered by the expression personal injury. That's sort of you know, well, is he just saying you know it's it's, it's a nice question, or, or or does he really come down four square for the fact that that's what it means? He, he's not the Supreme Court of the United States, so he did not say this is what the language means. It was a scholarly opinion. It was his Usual opinion. Scholarly opinion, waffling yes, and waffling yeah. to some extent. <laughs> there, there is no question, but that the, the question is troublesome. It's the phrase is ambiguous, and the drafting history is not very helpful. And Mr. Murray says it's clear and ambig unambiguous. I think everybody here will disagree with that. But, no, what he says is that it is ambiguous, it is not clear, but I conclude, my opinion is, based on all these things, that the phrase lesion corporelle is more appropriately translated into the English concept of personal injury. Is more appropriately. He says that. Yes. Not then, it may be argued that it... No, he said what you read. He said what I said. Okay. I'm paraphrasing. But let's turn to the subsequent conduct. Uh, Mr. Murray talks about a 1951 meeting in Madrid at which absolutely nothing happened... Uh, nothing came out of it. It was an interim meeting at which some people proposed probably to cure the ambiguity 
that mental injury be made more specific in Article 17, but nothing happened. What did happen in 1955 at The Hague is that Article 3.1c was redrafted and proposed as an amendment to the Warsaw Convention, and it translated the phrase mort blessur ut tot ochelesion corporel into death or personal injury. And that sits today as Article 3.1c of the uh, amendments adopted at The Hague. Now, in the 19... What, what does 3.1c deal with? 3.1c deals with the legend that has to be put on the passenger's ticket. And it says you've got to tell the passenger about the limitations on his right of action to recover for death or personal injury. Now, in 1966 in Montreal, after the United States government denounced this treaty because it had an $8,300 cap on the recoverability of damages, the airlines got together and they decided to raise their limits, accept strict liability, which was not initially written into the Warsaw Convention. It was a negligence action, although the burden of proof was shifted to the... Um, a carrier to prove non-negligence rather than the uh, traditional. And in exchange for all of those, the airlines also agreed to put on the face of their ticket an, an advice to the passenger which advised them of the limitations of liability. In all the discussions, in, in the written documents produced at the Montreal Agreement, the phrase bodily injury and personal injury are used interchangeably without distinguishing between the two. They appear almost an equal number of times in the Montreal Agreement. The two phrases appear and are used interchangeably in the CAB order which adopted or approved the Montreal Agreement. And the passenger ticket, which is now issued to all passengers getting on a carrier in international air transportation, advises them of the limitations of the carrier's liability in case of death or personal injury. And the Montreal Convention was uh, in English? Yes, Your Honor. I hesitate only because I'm not absolutely certain, but I'm pretty sure it is. Say that again, sir. The opinion of the Second Circuit requires that that be posted, that the limitations must be put on the, on the ticket itself. Airline. Yes, Your Honor. Involuntary. That was required. Well, the airlines agreed to do that in the Montreal Agreement, and now the agreement itself requires that that... You needed, you needed a court case to do it. <laughs> In any event, it is now required for if whatever reason. Read the opinion, just read who wrote it. Okay, I have to do that. What, what actual advice do they give them? The, the limitation on the passenger tickets is described as a limitation on damages, and I can't quote it because I don't have it handy, for any, for any cause of action you have for death or personal injury. Well, does it, does it say that you get nothing if the personal injury is unaccompanied by a physical manifestation? No. It just says, what does it say? There's a $75,000 limit? It says you have a $75,000 limit on any action you have for death or personal injury arising out of international air, an accident in international air transportation. I wish I could quote it. I don't have it. The tickets for some of these passengers are in the record before the court. Of course, that's, that's still literally consistent with the position that Easton is taking. No, because death or personal, personal injury is a much broader concept than bodily injury. Yeah, but to say there's a $75,000 limit on all personal injury is not inconsistent with the position that there is a zero limit on personal injury unaccompanied by a physical manifestation. That's not inconsistent, but the point I'm trying to make is that the, the English translation of lesion corporeal into bodily injury 
is not necessarily the correct translation of the phrase, and the subsequent conduct of the parties recognizes that it is more appropriately translated into the broader concept. But wouldn't of it wouldn't have been misleading to put on the tickets that there's a $75,000 limit for for bodily injury, leaving leaving the implication that if you had mental distress besides the bodily injury, you could recover something more. I mean, if, if, you know, if I were writing it as a limitation provision, I might well want to say for personal injury to avoid implying to the passenger that the $75,000 limit applied only to bodily injury, but you could get more money for mental distress. Uh, whereas, in fact, what they're saying is you can't get anything for mental distress unless it accompanies the bodily injury. I'm, wouldn't that have been a good reason for translating it that way? The whole problem I have with Eastern's position is that this very complex distinction represented by the common law's impact rule can't be spelled out of the language in Article 17. It takes a whole paragraph to explain the distinction between you get mental damages if you have a physical injury, but you don't get mental damages if you don't have a physical impact, unless you have some physical sequelae arising out. You can't read all of that into there, and therefore, uh, to draft the ticket provision, the way Eastern wants this Article 17 read, you're going to need another page. The point is that although the State Department translated lazy on corporal into bodily injury, it has routinely been translated into the broader phrase personal injury by the subsequent uh, conduct of the parties. Mr. I thought in 1955 that the delegates did not change the language of Article 17. They did not. And I thought also that in 1955, uh, there actually uh, was an amendment proposed to Article 17 to make it say any other mental or bodily injury, and that was rejected by the delegates. My understanding of those two early discussions of the problem was that the people, the delegates felt there was some ambiguity here, and they wanted to make sure that they removed the ambiguity. Well, there the was decision not was not to amend it to include mental or Perhaps bodily injury the history, in 1955. The history is not particularly specific about the reason why the amendments were voted down. It may very well have Because been, the Greek delegation didn't want to make that change. Well, there is some, also some discussion in the materials that I read to the effect that it was not necessary to specify it any further because it was included within the concept of lazy on corporel. Let's go to 71 and 75, because in the Guatemala City Protocol and in the Montreal Protocols 3 and 4, neither of which have been adopted um, by the United States, Article 17 of the French was not changed, but for the first time, the Warsaw Signatories delegates drafted an authentic English version of Article 17. This is not the State Department's translation in 1934 now, but an authentic English version of Article 17, um, which translates the phrase lésion corporelle, which remains in the French version, as personal injury, death or personal injury. And we injury. haven't agreed to that? The Senate has never adopted any of these subsequent amendments because... But you think it's binding on us? It's absolutely not binding, Your Honor, but it is evidence of the subsequent construction um, of the intent of the framers in 1929 that the delegates keep coming to these conventions and assume that lazy on corporal means what Dr. Mankiewicz opines that it means, and that is personal injury. And the court in the Air France versus Sachs case, in looking to the for finding the definition of accident, looked at the Guatemala City Protocol and the Montreal Protocols uh, 3 and 4 for that kind of evidence. 
Let me also suggest to the Court that the common law's impact rule at this point in our history uh, leads to some rather strange and silly torturing of the facts in order to get cases into court. I, I sent up some supplemental material on the United 811 flight, the 747, which lost the cargo door and sucked nine people out. The plaintiffs in that case, in order to get around Mr. Murray's impact rule and his construction of Article 17, alleged, and I imagine they can prove, that they all inhaled some insulation fibers that were circulating about the cabin, that they got struck with small pieces of debris, and that they were scared to death. Now, if the impact rule applies, those plaintiffs get a recovery for their mental distress because they inhaled some insulation fibers because there was a physical impact, but the clients in my case, who were just as scared as those people, do not. Um, and Justice O'Connor mentioned the fact that if somebody cut their finger here, uh, or I would add bumped their head during the getting ready for the ditching process, they have a physical impact or a physical injury which will support a recovery of their mental distress damages. Uh, but the person sitting next to them who was more careful in putting on his life vest and getting his head between his knees does not. And I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. I've also suggested in the brief, most respectfully, that a mental injury is a bodily injury, an injury to the brain. We now understand an awful lot more about the brain than we did 60 years ago. Uh, it is a biochemical organ, uh, like other organs, and when you suffer anxiety, fright, neuroses that arise out of these things, those are biochemical disorders to a bodily organ. And I would submit that a mental injury in our present understanding is, in fact, a physical injury. Well, is, is that accepted? I mean, that may be a... Uh, it may be a pathological kind of functioning, but it's not an injury to the brain in the sense that there would be a tissue injury if a bullet went through it or a blunt object penetrated. I mean, that's, that, that that's kind of the brain's equivalent of, of my manifestation of, of high blood pressure when I get scared. Uh, that's something other than a physical injury, isn't it? Well, that's not an injury, high blood pressure. That's right. It's, it's, a response. it's a response sure. to something that I perceive. And, and what you're describing as a brain injury is just a response to something perceived, isn't it? Well, post-traumatic stress disorder suffered by Vietnam veterans is a recognized mental injury, as I understand it, because yeah, it's, the... It's a mental injury, but it's, not a, it's not a brain injury, is it? The brain's chemistry has been... Um, gone out of whack. It's been adjusted, readjusted, or whatever. So that people have neuroses that are treatable by chemicals. Paranoia, psychosis, things like that are all treated by chemicals. I don't and you, mean th and you think that's bodily injury? If we normally use that term? If it is caused by the stress of a terrifying incident, and you have medical expert testimony that will relate the permanent mental injury, the stress, the psychosis, the neurosis, or whatever, to this incident, yes, I think it is caused by the incident. Thank you, Mr. Ethan. Uh, Mr. Murray, do you have a rebuttal? Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, I'd like to point very briefly to uh, two things that Mr. Eaton said. Uh, Mr. Eaton fell into the trap uh, in which the 11th Circuit fell in, di in discussing the French meaning of the term lesion corporelle. He didn't fall into it. He jumped in and invited the 11th Circuit to, to follow him. <laughs> <laughs> that may well be, Your Honor. Uh, but he skipped from a determination, uh, a discussion of lesion corporelle, immediately to a discussion of dommage, dommage personal, dommage patrimonial. Our brief discusses dommage material, dommage moral, 
those uh, type concepts are understood in the French law. They were understood uh, in 1929 when the convention was drafted. But lésion corporel is a term, not necessarily a French legal term. Uh, it's no more a French legal term than a cut on the arm is uh, a legal term in this country. And lésion corporel means an injury to a bodily part or a bodily organ. And we simply ask that it be uh, interpreted as such. Uh, with regard to the subsequent conduct of the parties, uh, I want to point out, number one, that Article 17 in its original French text, as was adopted in 1929, is what governs this convention today. There has been no change in it. There has been a change in the uh, notification to passengers as required by the Montreal Agreement. The term personal injury was substituted. As Justice Souter pointed out, the use of personal injury is not inconsistent. No, it's not inconsistent, but there's a question, I think, as to whether it's an adequate disclosure if it doesn't tell the passenger that there's one category of personal injuries as to which there's no recovery. Right. That's the question, whether it's an adequate disclosure. Justice Stevens, if you remove Warsaw from, from the consideration and you put this in a simple negligence context, the term personal injury is bandied about by lawyers and judges, and it... It has the connotation legally of being no recovery in simple negligence cases where there is mental injury unaccompanied by physical manifestation. And that's all we're asking that this term, that, that this convention be interpreted as. And we think that the use of the term personal injury in a notice context is consistent with that. And Professor Lowenfeld, who was the attendee of the United States at the Montreal Agreement, said, and this is quoted in Floyd at page 1474, that no significance should be attached to the use of the word personal injury. So it was not the framers' intention uh, in 1929. It was not the delegates' intention in Montreal in 1966 to change the, the meaning of Article 17. In some, we feel that uh, compensable injuries under the Warsaw Convention should, should very clearly include only injuries where there is a, uh, a, an objective, palpable physical injury and that the Warsaw Convention should be the exclusive vehicle for recovery for passengers in international air transportation. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Murray. The case is submitted.